Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The Speckled Bird by W.B. Yeats One evening, three boys, the oldest, about twelve years old, were in a fort, or forth, as they would have called it, on a headland on the edge of Galway Bay. About them were some thorn bushes, and above them three little oak trees torn and bent by the sea wind. There was a faint mist on sea and land, and this mist mingling with the paleness and grayness of the unmortared stone walls and the heaps of stones in the fields made the world seem fragile as though it might suddenly dissolve one of the boys who was about ten years old and was dressed like a gentleman's son dug rather wearily and the other two who were barefooted and bare-legged watched him presently he threw down his spade and said you are right it's of no use Yet I am certain that I saw it in my dream, two or three feet under the grass. I saw a big earthenware pot and it full up of gold pieces. The oldest boy said, You only dreamt twice of it, Master Michael. I told you that we should have waited for the third dream. They have taken it away because you did not wait for the third dream. The younger, who was about eight, said, I knew that when I said I would not dig any more. "'Well, I'm going home,' said the boy, who had just thrown down his spade, and he started down the hill at the run. The others, taking the three spades with them, went along the top of the hill to a hollow place, where smoke rose from three or four chimneys. Michael ran till he got to the bottom of the hill and then began to walk along a road that went down by the sea, walking sometimes quickly, sometimes very slowly.' and sometimes stopping altogether to look at a seagull flying over his head or a sea snipe flying over the wet stones by the sea edge. Presently he looked where smoke was rising among trees a mile away and began to run, but the sight of a large bird flitting near the water with a number of little birds following it and making a great noise that made him stop running, he thought, it is an owl. That is what the Bible means when it says, Mine inheritance is as the speckled bird. All the birds of the heavens are against it. I wonder why the other birds are so angry. He stood, watched till the big bird vanished among the shadows of some hawthorn bushes on the edge of the trees. Then he began to run again and ran for nearly a hundred yards. He left the road and turned into a boreen, that led towards the wood, and then through a broken gate in a big wall into a cart track among fir trees. He came out from among the trees onto a drive that was full of ruts and the droppings of sheep. The drive ran after winding through a half-circle for a couple of hundred yards to a square house of 
the ugly, box-like kind built everywhere in Ireland in the middle of the last century, but covered with creepers at one end, and with a curious blue-green glimmer in its slated roof. At one side were large, almost empty stables, and at the other, half-hidden among camellia bushes, a gate into an old-fashioned garden, flower and kitchen garden in one. The sun had set while Michael Hearn was still by the seashore, and it was almost quite dark under the great horse chestnuts that overshadowed the drive and the nearest gable of the house. The windows of the dining room were lighted up, and inside two men were sitting over their wine. It was a very large room with heavy mahogany chairs and a mahogany sideboard and a number of copies of late Italian pictures in heavy gold frames and some landscapes painted just as the enthusiasm for what we call the picturesque was beginning to wane, and seeming neither new nor old-fashioned. When Michael came in, his father, John Hearn, a middle-aged man with side whiskers, said, You are very late again. Michael said, I was busy. I was doing something with John and Peter Bruin. His father said, What were you doing? But seeing that Michael did not answer, and being anxious to go on with a conversation that had been interrupted, he rang for the butler who brought Michael some half-cold soup and meat. As Michael grew less hungry, he began to listen to the conversation. What they were talking about interested him very much. He had once had a fight about it with the son of the dispensary doctor. Some six or seven years before, his father had got into trouble with some of the tenants, and been shot at. The shot had killed the coachman, and though everybody knew who had fired it, nobody was convicted. John Hearn had got himself a great popularity among the country people, and as great an unpopularity in his own class by swearing that he could not recognize anybody. Yet the country people told one another how the manslayers had crossed the field in broad daylight, and how he had stood upon the car and looked after them. And now Samuel Henderson had just repeated this and said, It is of no use your denying it. You recognized them perfectly well. You did it for popularity. You are just as you were in Paris. You would do anything for popularity. The other answered, You too have not changed. Then as now you were always fault-finding, always thinking yourself better than others, I should like to know what good would have come to anybody from the hanging of those men. Certainly, I have never regretted that I was unable to recognize them. Samuel Henderson was getting angrier. You say it would have done no good. You would have done your duty by the law, and to your dead servant, and to your class. Every murderer who escapes makes the law and human life the less sacred, and the position of your own class the more difficult. The other answered, My own class. What do I care for my own class? Henderson got up and began to walk up and down. He said, It is not as if you were a revolutionist. No man alive has less sympathy with revolution. You would not give up a penny of your income for any cause in the world. The other first slowly cut a cigar and then struck a fusee. And as he lighted the cigar, he said between the puffs of smoke, I do not want either to reform the world or to uphold the law. There are plenty of people to do these things. I want to live my life, and as I meet the country people and not 
my class, which bores me, I am very glad those men were not hung. And then lifting his voice a little, I can tell you that if the sunlight had not been in my eyes, which it certainly was, I should have pretended that it was. Henderson cried in deep indignation. That is as good as an admission. It is being an accessory to murder. And he went out slamming the door. John Hearn was silent for a time, and then turned to Michael and said, He'll be all right in the morning. He would lose his temper in just that way when we all worked together in Davery's studio. It was his sense of duty, as he called it, that made him turn surveyor when he could not do pictures to his liking. Nothing would ever have made him an artist. He was always thinking of irrelevant things. Not that I myself have done so well that I should talk. I have not painted for years now, but... There was a little fellow at Davray's who used to say I was too fond of pleasure to come to anything. He was silent for a moment and then said, Come here, Michael, and tell me what you were busy about with John and Peter Bruin. Michael went over to him and told him, after some questioning, how he had dreamt of seeing a crock of gold, and how they had dug for a long time and found nothing though the two Bruins had several stories of people who had found crocks of gold after they had dreamt of them. His father said presently, Well, Michael, do not have too many dreams of that kind. Life is a very little thread, and it is easy to lose hold of. Most people do. There was a little fellow at Davray's who used to say I was too fond of pleasure to come to much. Sometimes when one thinks... One has hold of the thread one is getting away from it. Most things in the world lead one away or are something other than human life, as a wise man once said of Parliament. He was talking half to himself, and Michael said, to bring the conversation to something that interested him, When you stood up on the car, were you not afraid they would shoot at you? The other said, They had to reload and were scared by what they had done. Anyway... I could not think about it at the time. I wanted to see if a man who was to the right of the others and had his hat pulled over his eyes was John Gill or his cousin, Old Patrick Gill. Michael interrupted with, I know who it was, it was Old Patrick Gill. Next morning, when Michael came down to breakfast, which was seldom much before eleven, he found his father alone. His father said, looking up from a book which he was reading over his breakfast, Henderson's gone. He was gone before I came down. He was really angrier than I thought last night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. 
It helps a lot. Plus, you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Two. Up to this, Henderson, who had come every summer for the shooting, had been John Hearn's only link with the activities of the world outside his own estate, and he showed no desire to find a new one. He had brought a Spanish dancer to his house when he had given up his student life, but when she found herself unable to endure the dullness of the country, he had learned to content himself with peasant women. One of these women had got so much influence over him that he had brought her into the house and married her on the birth of a son. She had died a couple years after the marriage, and after a few weeks of sincere grief, he came to look upon her as upon the Spanish dancer and the fellow students of his youth with a poetical and gentle regret. All places and times were full of consolations, and one love, one interest blotted out another. He would sit for hours by cottage fires discussing with the man of the house the last marriage or the last death or the last emigration with the same little foreign gestures of the hands and the deliberate intonations and cadences he had learned talking about pictures or about the metaphysics of love in France and Italy. He had a real power for making people love him and would himself make many little sacrifices for anybody or anything he saw daily. He grew fond of his son, but scarcely more fond of him than of the servants, whose faces had been part of his own childhood, or than of the horse that whinnied when he went into the stable, or of the collie dog that slept in front of his chair. He was but little interested in his own or in anybody else's future, and so left Michael to grow up much as he liked, yet took some trouble to answer his many questions. He got the national schoolmaster to teach him some absolutely necessary things, and did not prevent him learning his catechism from the butler's wife, though no Hearn had been to chapel for a generation. His conversation and the books in the library were a sufficient education, though if they were not, he would hardly have thought about it. Nothing mechanical or formal had ever allured his mind to dwell upon it, and education, as the word is understood, is both mechanical and formal. He took the boy for rambles along the seashore on fine evenings and talked a wisdom in which old studio talk and things heard in cafes mixed up with the sayings of the peasants. This talk mixed in the boy's memory with the changing light, and with the rising and falling of the wind, and he would think, that day when the wind was whitening the water, or that day when the sunset was reddening the burn hills right out to the blackhead, he said so and so. When the sunset was reddening the burn hills, they had walked to and fro on a stretch of smooth sands, and John Hearn had said, the chief way to be happy is to be interested in everything and everybody. If one is, it does not matter who one sees, or where one lives, or what one does. When one has learned to live in the present, in the present scene and the present time, life has nothing more to teach one. In after life, it seemed to Michael that his father thought about a world he had left for the body's sake almost, in the same way as monks thought of it. He had said in the dark of a winter evening, one should leave everything that is not life, 
everything that leads the thoughts away from the fumane occupations of men in all ages is a waste of life, whether it is metaphysics, pleasure, politics, scholarship, or anything else. The old poets were so great because they were always thinking of these few main occupations. And now, a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or fifty for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Three. The library was a long room overlooking the garden and had busts of Roman emperors on the top of the shelves and a large marble statue of Niobe, which Michael's great-grandfather had brought across Europe in a bullock cart in the days of the Grand Tour. John Hearn's books, which were in a shelf by themselves, were for the most part French novels and books about art but the other shelves contained books of all kinds bought in the 18th century. Like most of the books in Irish country houses, there were fine editions of the classics and of Bolingbroke and Berkeley and Swift and Johnson and of The Spectator, reminding one of a time when the Irish gentry had still destinies that had need of thought and preparation. John Hearn found for him some volumes of old voyages that had delighted him when he was a boy, and Michael had read eagerly for a time in Churchill's and Pocock's and Parkinson's and Oxford's voyages, always expecting to hear of something really wonderful. But the sameness of the world, where men go upon voyages, came to bore an imagination accustomed to the stories he had heard in the cottages or from John and Peter Brune. He rummaged among the other books, but found the elaborate periods of the 18th century still less to his fancy. At last, he found a book that altogether delighted him, for it was full of just such stories, but told them with much more detail than the country people. It was an edition of the Mabinogian, which his father had bought mainly for its large margins and fine print and for those engravings of knights and ladies, which have as much romance as seemed admirable to a generation that had learned from Sir Walter Scott to understand the picturesqueness and the bodily energy, the sudden transformations of the life of the Middle Ages, while too skeptical and too sectarian to understand its magic and its mysticism. John Hearn had never read the book, but when Michael told him of it, he had bought him a mort d'Arthur, which he had read and talked to him one night by the sea of the coming of these tales into the Middle Ages and of the poets and painters who had made them almost as important in our time. His imagination, which had even more than a child's prepossession with woods and waters and imaginative circumstances, found all it desired in these books with their delight in armor and in raiment and in household things learned by the storytellers in the courts of princes, and in giants and wizards and grotesque persons learned by the storytellers from a broken race that still remembered the reveries of ancient herdsmen among woods and waters. 
It was long before the later book, with its more passionate tales, became more important to him than the older book, and when it did, its world took the ancient form and color he read in that older book. What delighted him most in the newer book was the story of the Grail, and the stories of Merlin, and of Morgan le Fay, and the wizard that changed a troop of horses into gray stones. Tristram and Iselt, or Guinevere and Lancelot, were as yet but images, in a world where all were images, and the images that pleased him the most were those that expressed by some extravagance an energy or a magnificence or a mystery not in the sober images of life. He had not come to the age where images that have a little of sobriety reflect one's own passions, as in a burning mirror, when one wishes to say not how wonderful, how unexpected, but how like her that I have loved so long, or how like myself. Michael went about now in a continual disappointment with the world he lived in. Nothing there seemed beautiful or strange or magnificent. Doubtless it had been all the heart could desire, but it had changed. Nobody could tell why. One day, when he was talking about the gentry as Peter Bruin had called the people of Ferry, Peter Bruin pointed out to him the Kruachma, away on the edge of the horizon, and fell to talking in a faint and fearful voice of Finvara, who kept his court there and of the great hogshead of some strange liquor that stood by his door that his people might dip their fingers in and touch their foreheads and become invisible, and the fair that people saw there sometimes on a May day, and of the invisible horsemen that came out of the hill and rode hither and thither through all Ireland. He knew of one who had been there when people thought he was asleep, and, though he had been afraid to speak, much of what he had seen, he had spoken of gold crowns and of flowers upon the heads of the horses. While Peter Bruin was talking, Michael remembered how Ronawi went among Arthur's knights when he fell asleep on the yellow calfskin in the house of Highland Goch. And he thought, they are not dead, they are living like Finvara and his horsemen, maybe they are quite near us. Does not everybody who does not say that Finvara's people are fallen angels say that they are the old, ancient inhabitants of the country? He said aloud, John, why do you think we cannot see them? John Bruin said, Because we might think too much about them. They are wicked people waiting for the day of judgment. Michael said, Maybe, John, it is we that are wicked, and so we cannot see them. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. 
That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. Hermetic Science Enterprises.co.uk